Our speaker is Dr. Marion Peters. Uh, those of you who were fortunate to come to the Tennessee workshop yesterday saw her. She's really a wonderful educator. She's a card-carrying hepatologist who uh, was raised in Australia and then came to the NIH and trained, trained with Jane Huffnagel on uh, hepatitis viruses, especially hepatitis B, which is the interferon of what was pegylated. Thank you. 
sacred rituals to normalize liver enzymes to improve and uh, improve histology and improve quality of life, decrease the progression to cirrhosis, decrease the development of the catastrophic carcinoma, and overall improve survival. So here's your next question. Hepatitis C treatment in HIV patients. Alpha interferon, pegylated alpha interferon and ribavirin a standard of care. Majority of patients are candidates for treatment. Genotypes 1 and 4 have a lower SDR. Neuropsychiatric treatment side effects are common and triple therapy with either prosecutor telapathia and cancer fiber is standard of care. Unfortunately, it's still standard of care, and genotypes 1 and 4 do have a lower SDR. Neuropsychiatric effects are very common, and the minority of patients are candidates. This is a study looking at um, an urban co-infected clinic, but it's the same if you look at a mono-infected clinic, it's the same if you look at a VA clinic. Only about 30% in every study looked at of candidates are eligible for interferon therapy. And the reasons they're not eligible may be psychiatric, may be end-stage liver disease, may be non-adherence, drug use, or in the, in the situation with HIV, be having AIDS. So when we look at patients who are co-infected, the vast majority of them are not interferon really what we need to have um, all our medications. So you know back in the day in on alone three times a week only about five percent of patients responded. And this has improved over uh, the decade with additional ribavirin, pegylation of interferon, and then peg interferon ribavirin leading to about fifty-four percent it comes at cost with multiple side effects, neuropsychiatric, immunologic, autoimmune. It can generate autoimmune disease in the susceptible patient. It's limited probability, many contraindications, and only about three quarters of a million of the four to five million individuals in the U.S. with hepatitis C are actually uh, candidates for therapy. So the challenge is to find shorter, more tolerable regimens. So last year, two protease inhibitors were approved that only uh, have activity against genotype 1. They must be used in combination with pegylated interferon and ribavirin, and leaving either route leads to non-response or resistance. Also exciting is on the right this idea of the response guide of therapy. 
drug-drug interactions, and the question of resistance that we thought was going to be a major issue has not panned out to be an issue at this time. So it's not recommended to do resistance testing. This is a summary slide for mono-infected patients. The results in naive patients around 70 to 75%. And that's the same in patients who have relapsed, that is, who have got a response while on therapy and then lost it at the end of therapy. However, the response of non-responders to triple to previous antibiotics is much lower at around 40 to 50%. But we have shorter therapy. We have to continue to use antibiotics Thank you. 
might be fine sometime of the day, but not really all the day. The duration is different. It's 8 to 12 weeks of the telaprovir, followed by 12 to 40 weeks of pegriva, depending on whether you've got a response or not, an early response. And the ciprovir is longer after the four-week lead-in. And the shortened response is if you are negative early on, as I showed you before. And what qualifies you for a shortened response? With telaprovir, you need to be patient needs to be undetectable and uh, um, week 4 and week 12 of triple therapy and about 58% qualified for the shortened response. So 12 weeks of triple therapy, 12 weeks of peg driver. For the separate you have to be undetectable at week 8 and 24 of triple therapy and about 44% qualified. So a lot of patients qualify for these shortened responses, and they have a sustained biologic response of about 65 to 75% with a lowly relapse rate. The issues with telaprovir, as we discussed in great detail yesterday, a rash of anemia, colitis. The issues with the separavir are anemia and a funny taste. So when we look at co-infected patients, I think this is where the promise of direct-acting antivirals comes in. Because for genotype 1, which we're looking at here on the left, you can see that the responses were 20 to 40 percent, much lower than we saw in mono-infected patients. So the HIV patients really responded much less well. So this is the first... Um, Phase two study of telaprovir that was presented by Doug Dietrich at Croy uh, in co-infected patients given telaprovir and peg driver for 12 weeks, followed by a total of 48 weeks of peg driver versus placebo, and then followed up. And I'm going to present the week 12 data because we don't have the week 24 yet. So this is the response at week four, and you can see, unfortunately, it's in white, there's no response to peg driver, but whether the patient was on no antiretrovirals in orange, Favarin's, uh, Inofovir, FTC in green, or Atazanazir based in blue, you can see they had an excellent response. This is comparing to 20 to 40 percent with peg driver and if they had really pretty low responses at week four. If you look at SVR rates, that's SVR 12. 12 weeks after end of therapy, you could see an overall 29% increase of peg driver and very similar to what was seen in mono-infected patients. Which I think is right here. This, it, these weren't head-to-head studies. I just put it in to show you that for the first time, the response in co-infected patients was like the response in mono-infected patients and seemed to be similar whether you were on antiretrovirals or not. These were small studies with small number of patients you can see here 
had was followed by triple therapy for 44 weeks versus peg ribrum placebo and then follow-up. And it was randomized two to one for triple therapy versus placebo. Uh, uh, and here is the response over time. If you look in yellow, that's the peg ribrum response. If you look in orange or brown, that is the triple therapy response. And once again, as you saw, the 30% increase with telaprevir over peg um, ribrum alone, you see a similar increase with the sepravir over peg ribrum alone at SBR 12. We don't have the SBR 24 data yet, but many studies from diesel have shown that SBR 12 and SBR 24 are very close. If this compares favorably, to the mono-infected data. I think the point that I want to make is that both drugs have been very successful in co-infected patients at cure rates similar to what is seen in mono-infected patients. And this is very unlike any other studies we've had in the past. You, many of you, I presume, have received the Dear Doctor letter about protease inhibitors in normal subjects in drug-drug interactions with receptor Now, these are the data on the study I just showed you by the SVR12 by antiretroviral regimen. Now, they're not randomized by antiretroviral, so it's not something you can look at and do statistics on. The point I'm trying to make is that patients who are on triple therapy on the right, many of them were on those drugs that we were told not to use because of the normal volunteer data and had excellent SVR12. There were three patients who had HIV breakthroughs, one, two on adazanavir and one on lopinavir. The lopinavir patient was changed to adazanavir. Basically, this shows two things, that yes, we've got viral suppression, a couple of patients flipped. After end of treatment, they went up higher by a log, in some cases more, and that's probably the effect of interferon because it has a one-log block usually. So the summary of who you should treat with in co-infected patients, only genotype 1, with
the FDA has approved uh, the ACT studying all antiretroviral therapy on receptively uptake private psychotherapy. Because I think the normal volunteer study and the patient study is so disparate, we really need data to answer. And if phase two studies were very small, the ACTG study will be a 300 patient study for patients on therapy. This is the bad news. Take Rivas 38,000, Telaprevir and Receptivir are 50. If you use the higher dose of Telaprevir, that takes it up to 75. This is not cheap. But what are the issues? I remind you that there are genotype issues in HCV therapy. Genotype 2 and 3 are much more responsive to interferon than 1. You can't use Receptivir or Telaprevir for genotype 2 or 3. It's not Genotype 1A, across all studies, has a poorer response than 1B in DAA studies because it only takes one mutation to develop resistance in genotype 1A, whereas two are required for genotype 1B. The IL-28B response, interferon lambda response, is important. The CCs do much better than TTs, and I'll show you a slide on that. Whether the patients had prior exposure to interferon lessens their response. Unless they were a responder relapser. The relapses do as well as the naive patients. And we have no reason to suspect that won't be true in HIV, but we have no data on it yet. The extent of liver disease, if a patient is cirrhotic, they have a lower response of possible studies drug interaction from here on this afternoon. So this is the SBR by genotype in mono-infected patients. And you can see on the left, European-Americans, then African-Americans, Hispanics, and combined data. And what they all show you is if you have the CC genotype, you have a much better chance of responding. You can see from about 32, 3% up to more than 80%. However, if the patient is African American and CC, they have a lower response that's statistically lower than the Caucasian response. So, IL 28 accounts for about 50% of the lower response in African Americans. It doesn't and uh, the Hispanic response is similar to uh, the European-Americans. So if you look at groups, it's more common for African-Americans to uh, be non-CC, whereas it's way more common for Asians to be CC. So that's the reason Asians patients have responded so well to interferon in the past. This is a difficult slide, but it's a slide to tell you that when you use triple therapy with a protease inhibitor, you need to have interferon responsiveness. So these, this study is looking at patients who did not have one long drop after the week leading. The 
said, how did that predict SVR 24 weeks after the end of treatment? So if you look at the combined group on the right, you can see that in patients who didn't have a one dose drop in four weeks, that's important, you then look four weeks later, if you didn't go, if the patient didn't go down three logs, there was zero SPR. Zero. So that is not patient to waste time and money on and torture. So if they don't have interferon responsiveness and they go down to undetectable on triple therapy, which is a minority of patients, they have a splendid chance of getting an SPR. 83% and then if they had lower detectable but still two, three, four, five dog decrease, they had 16, 30, and 39% chance of an SPR. So you can use this in your patient to say if you're not interferon responsive, it's unlikely this triple therapy especially in patients who previously failed therapy. So now I want to tell you a little bit in, in mono-infected patients what's on the horizon, because that may temper what you use for co-infected patients now. This is a study of protease inhibitor, a non-nucleoside, polymerase inhibitor, and ribavirin. I have to tell you, all the studies, when they left, whenever they left out ribavirin, it was a terrible idea. Fortunately, ribavirin is cheap, but it also has a lot of hemolytopenemia, as you know. So, if you look at end of treatment response while on therapy, you can see a higher uh, response rate in genotype 1B compared to 1A. Remember, I told you, easier to get resistant with 1A. If you look at SVR12, which is the data presented, it's 70% with 1B and 43% with 1A, and relapse was much higher with 1A. So that's still outstanding. Three pills, three drugs, all oral, no interferon, and for 12 weeks of therapy, 24 weeks of therapy. This is really outstanding. The next one I want to show you is a protease inhibitor that's pan-genotypic. The two current protease inhibitors are only for genotype 1. This is pan-genotypic. You need higher doses for genotype 3, but all other genotypes are quite responsive at low doses. And this is a 7977 polymerase inhibitor. I put in a lot of um, explanatory slides. This is the summary slide. For genotype 2-3 on the left, you can see that 100%, 10 out of 10, not big studies, were undetectable at two weeks, and SVR 12, 100%. On the right, treatment experience, 100% were negative at four weeks, and 80%, that's the data we have so far, were still undetectable at SVR four, four weeks after end of therapy. If you look at genotype one on the second to right group, you see they were slower to become undetectable, similar to genotype two, three uh, treatment experience patients, but they were all undetectable 
head at week 12 of therapy with just polymerase inhibitor and ribavirin, and 88% so far undetectable SDR four weeks after end of therapy. The null responders did all become undetectable, second to the left, but all but one of them relapsed immediately after stopping therapy. And that one who didn't relapse was a young woman with low viral load, genotype CC, and no fibrosis. All the good predictors. But this is exciting because it's always good to be in a tiny study, this chance of response. But it tells you that just two drugs for 12 weeks can affect the cure in a significant number of patients. But patients who previously failed interferon need more than just these two drugs. So in summary, it's good efficacy. Many drug-drug interaction issues that you hear about this afternoon, only for genotype 1, significant uh, side effects with rash that limit taking the drug, anemia that limits taking the drugs. Safety is an issue. Adherence is a problem with longer duration. And I would have said a year ago that we're in the middle here with PEG-Riber and a single DAA, that we're all going to move to the right. It's very clear in the last six months that the world has moved to the left to interfere on three regimens, and we should be there within the next one or two years as some of the drugs will actually be available next year. So when you select who to treat, given these new data in mono-infected patients, you may elect to treat the person most in need, those with severe fibrosis, so you need to assess the fibrosis, to control the HIV, encourage adherence, and avoid alcohol. Thank you. Thank you. 
Cured the patient, but 
Getting there. 